the light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine Welcome! Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. Catholic.com. It is our Saint of the Month Saturday, and I have one of my absolute favorites. And so, apropos for our times, St. Thomas More. We'll also get back to our book review, You Shall Stand Firm with Father William Casey in the second half of the show. But if ever we needed courage amongst the laity to raise up the Catholic banner of decency and good living, and let's not forget the natural law and the wacky transgender times in which we live. Natural law. Let's have a primer in natural law. Nobody better than St. Thomas More. And natural rights for all and natural liberties. God designed, not man, according to divine justice. Indeed, St. Thomas More is our man for these times. From the website, catholic.org. St. Thomas More was born in London on February 7th, 1478, His father, Sir John Moore, was a lawyer and judge who rose to prominence during the reign of Edward IV. His connections and wealth would help his son, Thomas, rise in station as a young man. Thomas's mother was Agnes Grogner, the first wife of John Moore. John would have had four wives during his life, but they each died, leaving John as a widower. Thomas had two brothers and three sisters, but three of his siblings died within a year of their birth. Such tragedies were common in England during this time. Thomas was very much influenced by his mother and siblings, he also attended St. Anthony's School, which was said to be one of the best schools in London at that time. In 1490, he became a household page to John Morden, the Archbishop of Canterbury and Lord Chancellor of England. Archbishop Morden was a Renaissance man and inspired Thomas to pursue his own education. Thomas More entered Oxford in 1492, where he would learn Latin, Greek, and prepare for his future studies. In 1494, he left Oxford to become a lawyer and trained in London until 1502, when he was finally approved to begin practice. Almost as soon as More became a lawyer, he found himself contemplating another path in life. For two years, between 1503 and 1504, Moore lived next to a Cartesian monastery where he found himself called to live a lifestyle of simple piety. He often joined their spiritual exercises. By 1504, Moore decided to remain in the secular world and stood for election to Parliament, but he did not forget the pious monks who inspired his practice of the faith. Thomas More married his first wife, Jane Colt, in 1505, They would have four children together before her death in 1511. Their marriage was reportedly happy, and Thomas often tutored her in music and literature. After Jane's death in 1511, he quickly remarried to Alice Harper Middleton. They did not have any children, but he did inherit a stepdaughter by his second marriage. Thomas was considered a doting father, and he often wrote letters to his children when he was away on work. He also insisted that his daughters receive the same education as his son, His daughters were well known for their academic accomplishments. In 1504, Moore was elected to Parliament to represent the region of Great Yarmouth and in 1510 rose to represent London. 
During his service to the people of London, he earned a reputation as being honest and effective. He became a privy counselor in 1514. Moore also honed his skills as a theologian and writer. Among his most famous works is Utopia, about a fictional idealistic island society. The work is widely regarded as part satire, part social commentary, and part suggestion. Utopia is considered one of the greatest works of the late Renaissance and was widely read during the Enlightenment period. From 1517 on, Henry VIII took a liking to Thomas More and gave him posts of ever-increasing responsibility. In 1521, he was knighted under treasurer. The king's trust in More grew with time, and More was soon made chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, which gave him authority over the northern portion of England on behalf of Henry. More became Lord Chancellor in 1529. More was immediately effective, working with speed and precision that is admired today. He was likely one of Henry VIII's most effective servants and was fiercely loyal to the king. During his tenure as Lord Chancellor, Moore prosecuted those accused of heresy and worked tirelessly to defend the Catholic faith in England. This was an arduous but achievable task as long as he enjoyed Henry's favor. However, in 1530, as Henry worked to obtain an annulment from his wife Catherine, Moore refused to sign a letter to the Pope requesting an annulment. This was Moore's first time crossing Henry. The relationship between Moore and Henry became strained again when seeking to isolate Moore Henry purged many of the clergy who supported the Pope. It became clear to all that Henry was prepared to break away from the church in Rome, something Moore knew he could not condone. In 1532, Moore found himself unable to work for Henry VIII, whom he felt had lost his way as a Catholic. Faced with the prospect of being compelled to actively support Henry's schism with the church, Moore offered his resignation citing failing health. Henry accepted it, although he was unhappy with what he viewed as waning loyalty. In 1533, Moore refused to attend the coronation of Anne Boylan, who was now Queen of England. Moore instead wrote a letter of congratulations. The letter, as opposed to his direct presence, offended Henry greatly. The king viewed Moore's absence as an insult to his new queen and an undermining of his authority as head of the church and state. Henry then had charges trumped up against Moore, but Moore's own integrity protected him. In the first instance, he was accused of accepting bribes, but there was simply no evidence that could be obtained or manufactured. He was then accused of conspiracy against the king because he allegedly consulted with a nun who prophesied against Henry and his wife, Anne. However, Moore was able to produce a letter in which he specifically instructed the nun, Elizabeth Barden, not to interfere with politics. On April 13, 1534, Moore was ordered to take an oath acknowledging the legitimacies of Anne's position as queen, of Henry's self-granted annulment from Catherine, and the superior position of the king as the head of the church. Moore accepted Henry's marriage to Anne, but refused to acknowledge Henry as head of the church or his annulment from Catherine. This led to his arrest and imprisonment. He was locked away in the Tower of London. He faced trial on July 1 and was convicted by a court that included Anne Boylan's own father, brother, and uncle, hardly an impartial jury. Still, Moore had one thing going for him. He could not break the law of which he was accused if he remained silent. However, he had no defense against treachery, and several dubious witnesses were able to contrive a story that he had spoken words that had the same effect as treason. Despite a brilliant defense of himself and persuasive testimony grounded in truth and fact, Moore was convicted in 15 minutes. The court sentenced him to be hanged, drawn, and courted, which was the traditional punishment for treason. 
Henry was pleased with the outcome, although upset that one of his favorite advisors refused, even upon pain of death, to sanction his annulment and break with Rome. Henry was a Machiavellian king, and while he may have regretted the loss of more, he was more intent on retaining his authority. As a final act of mercy, Henry commuted Moore's punishment to mere decapitation. Moore ascended the scaffold on July 6, 1535, joking to his executioners to help him up the scaffold, but that he would see himself down. He then made a final statement proclaiming that he was the king's good servant, but God's first. Following his death, it was revealed that Moore wore a hair shirt, a garment destined to be itchy, and worn to as a sign of atonement and repentance. It became obvious to all that he was a man of deep piety, asceticism, voluntary self-discipline, and penitence. Moore's decapitated body was buried in the chapel of St. Peter at Venucca at the Tower of London in an unmarked grave. Thomas More has been widely remembered as a man of tremendous integrity and he's been described as a martyr and a canonized a saint. Pope Leo XIII beatified More in 1886 and he was canonized by Pope Pius XI on May 19, 1935. His feast day is June 22nd. He is the patron saint of adopted children, lawyers, civil servants, politicians, and difficult marriages. St. Thomas More in these extremely tumultuous political times, pray for us. Let us now take in a few of his notable quotables from the website azquotes.com. Well, here's an incredibly relevant quote for our times. St. Thomas More said, One of the greatest problems of our time is that many are schooled, but few are educated. Oh, does that not sum up? especially public school education, but in fact, Catholic school education in too many places, the standards dropping. I often used to say when I was teaching out in California back in the early 90s that my eighth grade niece was able to write far better than the overwhelming number of seniors that I was teaching at the time in high school. If we had graded by 1955 standards relative to arithmetic, and English, I would have flunked two-thirds of the class. Unfortunately, I'm the one who would have been flunked because I was told not to flunk anybody. How's that for just completely demolishing academic standards to the pure political pressure of parents? It was really the parents that just wouldn't accept such a thing, and the principal and company were very much scared of that, so told us to just keep passing them along from one grade to the other, even though they didn't deserve it. Unbelievable. And we wonder how we got to a woke curriculum. Next quote, occupy your mind with good thoughts or the enemy will fill them with bad ones. Pretty simple stuff here, but profound. And it goes to highlight the importance of praying for good books to read or good movies to watch. You know, part of doing this show, the fascinating holy mystery of it all, is that I firmly believe that our Lord guides me not only to the right books, but to the right page numbers and the right paragraphs. But I ask for that grace beforehand. I ask for him to guide the whole process so that I don't wander into something that isn't true, because truth is what this is all about. And if we don't deliberately exercise our will to find that which is true, to want and pray for that which is true, then we will find ourselves on the other side of that which is evil and false. So it's so much in the will 
What is it that you're looking for? You have to decide that fundamental option. Do I choose the good or do I go in the other direction? Always the fork in the road every day. The next quote, Lord, give me a sense of humor so that I may take some happiness from this life and share it with others. As he's going to the gauntlet himself and makes a joke about he'll see himself on the way down. Oh boy, what a great man this was. I was just watching an old movie on the Roman Empire, and please beware that we could not return to it very quickly if we're not already there. Quo Vadis with Robert Taylor and Deborah Kerr, and it was just unbelievable that they were going to the Lions in the arena for entertainment of the fans, and they were singing. They were singing hymns to our Lord. How is that for keeping your Easter joy? But sense of humor, hardly the common denominator of the quote-unquote religious person. They're too cerebral, they're too serious, and that's exactly the stereotypic criticism that they rightfully get. Because... Really, ladies and gentlemen, to be holy is to be healthy, healthy-minded, and that means well-rounded, and that means, how about telling a joke once in a while and doing a jig, all right? These things require a little humility to be good at them, actually. You might even, in fact, be embarrassed. What is the litany of humility prayer all about? So, maybe uh, a very good reason for all of us, to keep that sense of humor for Pete's sakes. I wish I was better at it than I am, but at least I'm keeping my chuckle. The next quote, you wouldn't abandon ship in a storm just because you couldn't control the winds. (laughs) I'm thinking of the priest that said to me years ago in the confessional after taking him through a whirlwind of difficulty, stay calm in the boat, Tim. Just stay calm in the boat. Don't abandon your regiment just because it's getting a little more difficult than usual. I'm also reminded of a couple on an airplane, probably in their early 80s. This was years ago. I was flying from San Jose to Chicago, and it was the rockiest ride I had ever been on. And I've I've flown many times, but this was brutal. And there was this elderly couple that was, they were as serene as you could ever possibly imagine while everybody else was reaching for the oxygen mask. (laughs) And I just knew, boy, I've got spiritual work to do because I'm terrified and they were ready. So it's a good way to figure out where you're at with the Lord. Go on a rocky airplane ride. You'll figure out that state of the union with our Lord. The next quote, I die the king's faithful servant, but God's first beautiful. I hear, I say that all the time regarding family issues, difficulties close to home. What's usually the problem beneath the turmoil? God's not coming first. Put God first, and then you can put the turmoil out to sea. And also a little plug for patriotism, as he saw it to be an honor to work for Henry VIII, a civil servant, but God's servant first as he went to his own death, making it very clear to the English, God comes first. So hard, as I said to a friend of mine tonight, why do parents always cover for children, right or wrong? Because they're not putting God first. I said I'd write a book someday entitled, Not My Family, Yours Maybe, Not Mine. God comes first. The heart that is truly loved never forgets, says 
Sir Thomas. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, it's so important to remember. I often have told people, you need to remember who you were if you're not acting in your right mind now. Turn the clocks back and remember that time when you were loved and you loved and you knew who you came from and you will figure out who you are now. Continuity is stability. He says, whoever loveth me loveth my hound. (laughs) I guess uh, you got to take all of me and you better like dogs because they come with me. (laughs) So you see that often on a dating site. Hope you love dogs. You're Never dating just the person, ladies and gentlemen. You are going out with their whole world, all that they come with, good and bad. It's called love. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll be right back to continue on with our book review. You shall stand firm with Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. And to all those who have graduated in the past month, St. Thomas More would want you to listen very carefully to the words of the prayer by Sheila Walsh from her collection, Let Go. So we left off in the chapter, What Do You Know About Marriage? And Father William Casey had this last paragraph to say as we continue on. Sacramental marriage is a permanent and exclusive union because the fruit of marital love, human life itself, is also permanent and must be morally, socially, and legally protected. The good of the spouses, the good of the children, the survival of the family, and the good of society demand that marriage be an unbreakable lifelong covenant, and that is why in any culture where there is rampant divorce and remarriage, the very fabric of society will begin to unravel 
usually within two generations. Early on in religious life, I was assigned to work in prison ministry, and I have counseled inmates in three different state prisons. Every one of the inmates that I had counseled had one thing in common. They were all byproducts of broken homes and dysfunctional families. They were the children of divorce. The greatest and the highest of all virtues is charity. Charity, simply put, is loving the way that God loves. What is love in a truly Christian sense? St. Thomas Aquinas said that love means effectively willing the good of your neighbor. Love is essentially wanting what is truly best for the people that you love. What could be better than God? What could be better than heaven? What could be better than perfect eternal happiness in God's heavenly kingdom and the beatific vision? That is why the first essential thing God desires spouses to do for each other and for their children is to help them to get to heaven. Help your loved ones get to heaven. That is the greatest love of all. God is love. We all know this, but most people never consider the fact that there are some things that God detests. There are some things God hates. We know this from the Bible. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Potty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet that are quick to run to evil, the false witness who utters lies, and the one who sows discord among kindred. Love the sinner, hate the sin. God loves everyone, but God hates divorce because divorce wrecks the lives of the people that he loves. Divorce is a killer. It crushes faith, it breaks hearts, and it is the cause of untold emotional suffering and mental anguish for millions of people whose lives will never be the same. The book of Sirach says the worst of all wounds is that of the heart. Sirach chapter 25 verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, more torturous than anything is, is the human heart beyond remedy. Who can understand it? Over the years, I have spoken to so many people who have suffered through a terrible divorce. They tell me that it had been such a painful trial for them during that time that they wanted to die and they actually prayed for it. If this is what the spouse goes through, what happens to the kids, the children of divorce? How often do they become emotionally and psychologically scarred for the rest of their lives? They are often trapped in the middle of a domestic hell, witnessing the battles in the home, put at the center of horrendous custody battles and visitation rights, and then later, they struggle to maintain a happy and stable marriage and family life themselves because all they have ever known is instability. As the saying goes, you cannot give what you do not have. Very often when young people lose their faith and young Catholics leave the church, they will tell you it was because they did not see the love of Christ in their homes. They did not see the gospel of Jesus Christ or the love of Christ lived out between their parents. My mind goes back to my very first job coming out of college at a catholic boys home i supervised the cottage of nine children and i think of stephen a 14 year old boy who was acting up to the max because he didn't want to go home he knew if he acted up then we'd keep him at the boys home that's how much he 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 cringed at going home another boy who was ready to club me in the head with a baseball bat we spent one long night chasing each other and uh finally he collapsed into tears and then told me his whole story about being abused. His name was David. That was a heart wrencher that I'll never forget. And then another boy, he uh, only 12 years old, and we're coming home from the boys club one day. Boxing was the only thing that he was into. And he proceeded to tell me that someday he was going to get out of here and go find someone up in another state and hurt them. He was referring to his parents. I pray that that didn't happen. These poor kids, another one witnessed his mother 
with virtually a new boyfriend every month. This is torture that Father is talking about. And I think it's just wicked that we don't refer to this atrocity in our prayer intentions at Mass. Because kids have been going through a conveyor belt of scandal within their homes. Forget about the scandal in the church. At least that's a one percentile, not even. How about the domestic abuse? That's a 99 percentile. So it all goes back to Adam and Eve, husband and wife. No matter how you cut it, all this business with woke stuff. I <laughs> The whole thing is the culmination of broken marriages. It really is. I get, I'd give anything to see a survey of all those who are into woke ideology and see the percentage that were the victims of unbelievable instability in their home. And you couldn't have decades of this going on and not eventually see some real serious mayhem on the social horizon. Father Casey finishes up by referring to an old professor he had who used to say marriage has got to be a total and mutual self-giving with openness to come what may. This is, of course, an essential element of Pope St. John Paul II's teaching on the spirituality of marriage and part of the essence of his theology of the body. It is the concept of self-donation to radical self-giving, the act of coming out of oneself and making oneself a total gift to God and to others. This is what works. This is what always will work. And this is what we are all about right here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. To use the words of the late great Father Richard John Newhouse, it's all about fidelity, fidelity, fidelity. And by the way, as we approach the feast of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, June 27th, happens to be my sixth year anniversary of being faithful to my word to Marianne Harold. God bless her and prayers for Marianne. And also Brother Alphonsus Maria recently departed whose childhood church was the Mission Church in Roxbury, the Basilica home of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Thank you for those prayers, brother, and keep them going. Have a great week. Onward, graduate. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless. <laughs>